When you think of community, where does technology usually fit into things? I believe that we think of technology these days as a bunch of smart people in a room doing science magic so we can revel in the glory of such innovations as the internet, smartphones, and TV. I often catch myself thinking about landmark inventions that we take for granted in modern day. Take running water, for example. One of the greatest developments in the history of mankind. And these days, well, we pay a bill, turn a knob, boom. Water. It's literally that simple now. What I'm attempting to touch on through my ramblings here is a common but odd relationship that innovation and lifestyle has had within our culture throughout history. We live our lives a certain way until some brilliant mind sparks a landmark invention that pivots society into unknown frontiers, and life has never lived the same way again. Before running water, even the concept of clean drinking water on demand was never thought of as a commodity like today. I mean, if you think about it, the smartphone is one of those pivots. Sure, everyone has one now, but I'm telling you, that kind of stuff was just as space age as laser blasters and lightsabers when I was a kid. And what about the people that invent this stuff? I mean, we hear about famous inventors in such detail these days. There's movies, biographies, all kinds of stuff is done to honor these people. I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate these discoveries, but we are just remembering people, aren't we? Isn't everyone really the same at the end of the day? Or are people that shape society somehow smarter, better, faster, stronger than everyone else? If you haven't already guessed, I'm not convinced that's the case. After all, there was a time when basic math, like geometry, was put on the same tier as wizardry and magic, and now it's... well, okay, maybe that's a bad example. The point is that we have more resources these days than we've ever had. I'm talking about YouTube. I'm talking about online workshops and masterclasses, many of which are either free or insanely cheap. I'm talking about community meetings that anyone can attend, where they can mingle with inventors and successful business leaders. I'm talking about organizations like the Innovation Collective, right here in Coeur d'Alene. Our discussion today is an attempt at dissecting the idea of innovation within communities and tackling the challenge of inspiring average people to the point of sparking innovation within ourselves. Here to guide us today is a guy named Chris Cochran. He's the Innovation Collective COO, and is often found conjuring ideas, networking, and making magic happen at Coeur d'Alene's Innovation Den on 5th and Lakeside. His insight on the art of melding together successful veteran innovators with eager beginners is a key, but not often spotlighted part of keeping a culture moving in the right direction. So let's continue our journey in defining sustainability on this episode three of the Sustainable Culture Podcast, Innovation. I'm super stoked to talk to you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Great. <laughs> I've been wanting to talk to you since I worked at the shop upstairs, the coffee shop upstairs. Um, I used to see you every day, and we used to chat about really intelligent things, and I loved our little mini discussions that we would have. It was always like a brief window into what is eventually, I think, today's conversation, which awesome. I'm super stoked. So, uh, so you spent a long time 
doing some consulting work. I kind of briefly read a little bit of your bio yeah. on the Innovation Collective, and, and you're now the COO of the Innovation Collective, but you started work in like, um, and we'll talk about the Innovation Collective more to kind of put that into perspective, but you started doing nonprofit work like years ago, as yeah. I understand it. Yeah, early on in my career, I worked with uh, high school and junior high kids teaching leadership skills and those kind of things. How does someone who starts a nonprofit get into something like leadership in the tech type side of the industry? How does that connect? So one of the big things that I've always done, and one of the things I talk about often when I get a chance to talk to people about their dreams and wanting to fulfill their dreams is um, I really believe that if anyone really wants to pursue their dreams, they need to become OCD about obsessive compulsive about whatever it is they love and are passionate about. Uh, and totally. so for me, leadership is one of those things. I always, this not to sound arrogant, but I always felt like I would do a better job leading anything I was in than usually the people who were in charge. Because um, I just saw so many really <laughs> terrible leaders. You right. Know what I'm yeah. And the reason I felt so many people were terrible leaders is they never learned the skill of leadership and it's a learnable skill. Uh, they never put the time in to learn how to be a good leader. Uh, and so I started becoming like obsessed with leadership and reading every leadership book I could read, going to leadership conferences, learning how to do that stuff. And what I found was uh, I had this uh, weird bent towards technology that I'd always had since I was a kid, just the way that some people grew up and are like woodworkers or like motorheads and they work on cars. Like technology has always made sense to me. And so all I need to do is learn the technology. And so when I put those two things together in my life, I found there's not a lot of people within the technology space who are actually good at leadership as well. And in most technology companies, we end up taking the greatest technician and putting them into a place of leadership, uh, which is always a disaster. Because, yeah, we wonder what happens. Yeah, we wonder why it doesn't work very well. Or we take someone from the outside who doesn't understand the technology and put them in leadership. Uh, and either way, those are both bad. And so I got, yeah. um, I left uh, the nonprofit world. I started um, getting really involved in the early 2000s in podcasting and new media, blogging when it was like really early on. Uh, started my own consulting company for that. Um, made no money on it, almost went broke because I didn't know anything about startup culture and I didn't understand that you do this as a team. Those kinds. So I'm running around right. by myself trying to get people to buy into my consulting. And, right. Uh, anyway, so that that's how I, I did that. And then I ended up working in. Um, uh, IT, because I wanted, after several years of not doing any, making any money, I was like, you know what would be awesome? as a steady paycheck. Yeah. And my wife agreed. Uh, so I started working for a couple of companies. Wouldn't that be sweet? Yeah. <laughs> you get paid, yes. babe? <laughs> so I started working for a couple of different companies and uh, went to work as an IT consultant uh, and quickly um, moved my way up in leadership because I gained all those leadership skills early on. Yeah. Then it became easy to move your way up in leadership when you have the skills set to do it. That's a big feather to already have in the cap when you get into a new industry. You already know about leadership, right. which you're right, is a completely different skill, I think, on its own. So the Innovation Collective, I, I want to just highlight the Innovation Collective a bit because the, the idea of the podcast, and we kind of spoke a little bit um, before was, you know, it's all about figuring out how a culture can sort of work together and share, you know, the various strengths that you find within a culture yep. and use that in a way that uh, sustains itself into the future and is something that everybody can enjoy. And, and I looked at the Innovation Collective's website and I, I was just kind of peeking around. I noticed, I realized that even if I, even though I worked in the building, I never did any sort of like Innovation Collective, like I'd never even looked at the website. I <laughs> never realized that, but I never did. But on that website, I wanted to ask you about a quote that's on there that you yeah. probably you might have written this quote for all I know. But our people are socially isolated, our local economies fragile, and now come the robots. The disruptive technologies of the fourth industrial revolution could leave 40 to 60 percent of our friends and families unemployed. And if you read that, it's, I kind of chuckled a little bit because, um, you know, it, if you read it, 
the right way, it can sound sort of doom and gloomish, but if you read it a different way, you can see opportunity there. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways that encompasses what the Innovation Collective wants to do. Could you break apart exactly what is going on there? Like what robots and yeah, sure. which jobs are they taking? How quickly is that happening? So a few years ago, we started really understanding that um, A, people are more isolated than they've ever been. We're more connected than we've ever been through technology. Uh, and yet we're more isolated than we've ever been. When you think about the fact that loneliness is statistically at an all-time high, mental health issues are at an all-time high, suicide uh, is is statistically dropping, but it seems like it's more prominent than it's ever been before. Mm. And we're seeing people who in the past have been people who have every right to feel like their lives are phenomenal, mm -hmm. uh, killing themselves. Uh, and when we put all of those things together, uh, we are more isolated as than we've ever been. And part of that's because we have lost genuine community in America and in most of the world, to be really honest with you. We don't have people around us who ask us how we're doing, care about our families, we're people that pull together. The, you know, I often use the, the thought of we used to have barn raisings uh, in America mm. and the community would come together and build a barn for somebody in their community without the expectation of anything in return other than you're going to help me do this. And when you did that, you got community involvement, people were invested in each other, you built relationships with each other, you had a sustainable um, economy because you were investing in the future of somebody else, you were also investing in the future of your kids because you knew that those people were gonna come and do that for you, um, and you were building on a micro scale, you were building an economy uh, in a very small community. And we don't have anything like that left uh, in America. So when you take that as the premise and the groundwork of where we're at, and then you put on top of that things like General Motors laid off 4,000 employees yesterday. I mean, think about that. I and mean, that's that's bigger than a lot of towns I've lived in. They're going to lay off 14,000 this year. And that's a, that's a huge that's number insane. of people. We had a meeting um, over a couple months ago with um, a gentleman who runs a very large organization. Um, and they, um, they actually consult on a very large scale, like a macro level with economy, with the economics, to HR and um, heads of HR. Yeah. And they had a, a major conference where they had all the like chief HR representatives from Fortune 50 companies around the country. One of them said at this meeting, we have to lay off 10,000 people in one market because of automation. Yeah. And we're holding it off because morally we don't know how to, we don't know what to do. We feel like it's wrong, but we don't have any other choice. Right. So when you start taking those things and when jobs start getting automated and when people's lives start getting replaced by machines um, and on top of that you have this disconnectedness mm -hmm. what you end up with is a, there's going to be a huge segment of our society that feels disenfranchised and doesn't know what to do and on top of it doesn't even know where to turn right so innovation collective exists to solve that problem right uh, and we really believe that inside every human being is magic there are dreams hopes ideas that can come out of every single human being uh, and our job is to pull that out of them and go guys here's a whole tribe of people who want to help you build things together and mm -hmm. do things together so we encourage people through a series of events um, to um, learn to build new things that are going to actually make a difference in the world and be around 20 years from now the days of the human being as an automated a smart machine are over right so how do we teach people to be creative and do things that machines can't do um, and then teach them how to make companies out of those things by combining their efforts with other people within their community. Uh, and that's in essence what we do on a like high level. It's really cool to see too, every time you drive by this building, at least the, at least so far as I've seen, there's always this, um, there's always stuff going on here. <laughs> and I don't know how else to put that because there's always, you know, there's people walking around, right. you know, there's, um, there's a lot of determined 
uh, focused faces in this building. That's something right. I definitely noticed a lot when I worked here. And it's really interesting how just watching the ideas brew. You don't know when you're working at the coffee shop here in this building, like what ideas are being talked about, but you can really feel the sense of like, there's stuff in the air. There's people talking, there's people trying to figure stuff out, there's people listening to each other. And in the podcast, we talk a lot about how inserting other people's lives and stories and the lessons that they've learned from those stories into the way that you live and and just teaching yourself based on what other people have lived through. And that kind of brings me to um, uh, something that the Innovation Collective does here. There's two particular events I'm thinking of that I used to see happen a lot. And one is called Fireside Chats. The other is called Coffee and Concepts. Yeah. Those those are still both going on? Yeah. Those are the foundation for everything we do in any community. So what happens at those events and what where does innovation stem from that so uh one of the things that we learned early on when we started this project uh was that if people aren't inspired or have any kind of aspiration they don't believe there's magic inside it and one of the things that that i've always believed is there are times where we can be inspired by someone but if we don't believe we can do it then that's not really inspirational it's it's hollow and so a good example of that is um, I jokingly talk about how I read Elon Musk's biography, mm-hmm. and I was so excited to like take something from it, and I was gonna like gain these nuggets of truth and like be a better person. And I ended up discouraged because at the end of the day, what I realized is I'll never be as smart as Elon Musk because I didn't read every book in the library when I was a little kid, which he did. He read every book in his public library. I didn't know that. Yes, he would wait every week for the new books to arrive so he could read them. Oh my gosh. I never did that. I'm not that smart. I'll never be Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or, but. But you'll be Chris Cochran. I'll be Chris Cochran. And if I can take someone from the town that I live in who I can relate to and know that they're like me on some level and then they did something cool, then I can actually learn from that and be inspired by it. And so fireside chats are really a chance to take people, local people who have a cool story to tell and have them tell it in a way that's inspirational and aspirational. We interview them and, and take them through that process so that we can actually pull that story out uh, and get that message out. But what happens is we often say, you live in a field of diamonds, just bend down and pick them up. Mm-hmm. And there's all these cool people in any community who have amazing stories to tell, but nobody knows it because there's nobody actually doing the work of telling those stories or making sure they have a platform to tell their stories. Uh, and so, for example, uh, in, in upstate New York, I met a guy who is a local guy that everybody kind of knows in town. He's a, a pretty public figure. Nobody knows his real story about how he went from being worth $157 million to having $57 in the bank in one day, or about how he was offered like an MLS team like in, like for free, like in year four or five of MLS and turned it down. Oh like, my gosh. Nobody knows that stuff about this guy. They just think he's Frank. Right. And, and when you start telling those stories, it's super inspirational and it's super awesome. And then you find out that he spent his entire life, he was 60 years old before he first had a resume because he was always was an entrepreneur. That's insane. First of all, life. Or in Coeur d'Alene, you start looking around. A really good example, our next fireside chat um, is a, a local lady. She lives here now. She's from a small town in England. She's the head of global talent development for, for Red Bull. So her job is to make sure every Red Bull employee is the most awesome person they can possibly be. And that's what she does for a living. And she lives here in Coeur d'Alene. That's right. Nobody would know that if there wasn't somebody riding around telling those stories. Yeah. So it's all about the story. For us, storytelling becomes gigantically huge because it's the mode by which you change people uh, when, they're st- when they hear stories. Storytelling is the new propaganda for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes. There was something I heard recently that really fascinated me. And I've seen this everywhere I've lived in the States um, where... I forget exactly how it was put, uh, but it was basically saying that if you think about it, 
anything you want to do, take anything you want to do, any goal, dream, whatever it is, there's always something around you to, however small a step it might be, there's always something around you to take one step further to get closer to whatever it is that is. Right. Everything you need is around you to some extent. Yep. You know, obviously if you want to, you know, speak in front of people one day and be like this big public speaker, you don't get that overnight, of course. But there's always something there. You can start talking to yourself and practicing whatever it is. And that's, you know, what I've done for public speaking, talk to myself. And it's like you always feel like you're losing your mind a little bit, (laughs) but you do get better. So I was just curious if you have seen a lot of that kind of same inspiration to come out of the people that come to these fireside chats where these people are like, you know, I don't really know where to start. I'm just here. I want to do something. How do I, you know, take that leap? Because there's a lot of people that would go to this that don't have tech experience of any kind. For right. Uh, so interestingly enough, the fireside chats for us are really about gathering people and creating a new tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who go there are like-minded people who are like me, who want to do something cool, who want to be better than they are today, who want to like follow their dreams. Uh, and the, the the storytelling is the goal by which to, the, it's kind of a hook to get them in. Mm-hmm. But once they're there, that's where we form that tribe. When we started doing that, we realized very quickly there's a group of people who will come to that who don't understand what's going on in technology, but they want to be a part of it. So uh, that led to us. The other event that we do that we started was called Coffee and Concepts. Yeah. The premise of Coffee and Concepts was we had a, a bunch of nerdy people showing up with like circuit boards in their pockets and those kind of things going, hey, look what I'm building. Uh, yeah. And then a bunch of other people who go, I want to play in that space, but I don't know anything about that stuff. Uh, and so twice a month we get people together. Uh, they talk about what's going on in technology news from an inspirational and aspirational way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really like, hey, let's talk about the really cool crap going on in the world and how it's changing. I mean, I, I just read this morning um, that scientists are on the brink of curing type 1 diabetes through stem cell research. That's crazy. That's gnarly. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So and that's still, of that. course, that's one of those things that is fascinating, too, because that's a loaded thing to be excited about these days because stem totally. cell research is so, you know, controversial. Oh, super and, controversial. And, yeah. Just the fact, though, yeah. that we have the ability to do that. There's a, there was another oh, study. I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. MIT, yeah, last year, two weeks ago, MIT announced that they had actually created a way to 3D print, um, in mice they've done this, 3D print um, spinal cord material mm-hmm. and then fill the, the lines in it with stem cells and regenerate a severed spinal cord in a mouse. That's nuts. Uh, and so take just take the politics yeah. out of it for one second. Right. That's freaking awesome. Just look at the fact that that's possible. So when we talk about that in Coffee and Concepts, we take this, the policy out of it, the right. politics out of it, we just talk about it from a technology standpoint, um, and then people get to ask questions. And they get to actually start understanding what does that mean, and we always talk about making sure that we can talk about this in a way my grandma would understand. Um, and we'll call, I'll call foul on people in the middle of Coffee and Concepts if they're like, talking way about people's heads, or I'll ask them to explain what that means. Yeah, hey, slow heads. down, yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of Copying Concepts, once people, get, they get really excited because you walk away going, there's so many cool things going on in the world, and a bunch of smart people are there talking about it in a way that I understood. Right. Uh, and then at the end of that, anyone who's building anything, they want to present any concept. It could be a crazy, nonsensical idea. They want to just say, here's a crazy idea I had in the shower. Um, they can present that, and we can validate it for them or tell them why it's a terrible idea, or they can ask for help building that. And so a really good example of that is, 17-year-old kid who's been coming to our events shows up one morning and he goes, you always have us talking about nonsense ideas. And he's like, I've got a really nonsense idea. Um, and because we've been building the tribe and copying concepts, and because we're now building a place where people, it's okay for people to share these ideas in a safe place, mm-hmm. uh, and then we start telling them to work together and build something together, kid shows up and he goes, I was at the coffee shop. I couldn't concentrate because the kid next to the, the girl next to me was yapping away on her phone. She was driving me crazy. 
And he said, I, there's got to be a way for me to build a device and sit on the counter, on the table, turn it on, it becomes a cone of silence. And everyone's like, ha, 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 that's, his, that's nonsense. And everyone's like laughing. He goes, I told you guys it was crazy, blah, blah, blah. Right. The next time we did Coffee and Concepts, gentleman shows up, late 40s, goes, hey, where's the kid who was talking about the cone of silence? I spent 20 years working on that technology for the military. So it's those kinds of, of experiences where you go, this is where you take people, and, and the cool part about Coffee and Concept and the Fireside Chats is it's for everybody. And we keep talking about the fourth industrial revolution and what's going on there in a way that people go, not it's scary, I'm going to lose my job, but more like I can get ahead of that yeah. and learn to build something. Uh, and that's where that shift comes between storytelling and technology um, is we, we try to put guardrails up for people, too, because in any city we work in, we talk about a specific technology vertical uh, so that people can start dreaming within a framework that's authentic to their town. Every major town started with a major economic boom around some kind of technology vertical, whether it was like an oil town or a gas town or a, a logging town or a mining town. There was mm -hmm. one economic vertical that started a boom in a town. So right. if we can bring people back to a specific technology focus mm -hmm. that will still be around, that they can actually play in. Um, it gives them the ability to dream really Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I wanted to take a quick break to remind you of the tools you already have that can lead you to wherever things happen to go. If you can, look inside yourself with a calm mind. You have a set of strengths and weaknesses that only you can navigate. Those are your tools, but you have to use them. And you might have to teach yourself. So forget your weaknesses, focus on what you're good at, because those things are what will make you soar. So let's dig back in and get some more inspiration. And it's amazing, too, because you're basically, you're, you're essentially, you're just taking people and you're empowering people to do what they already have the ability to do. It's almost like you're leading them sort of through this way of being like, here it is. This yeah. is the tools you already have. You just kind of have to figure out where they're placed. Well, and almost. One of the other things we've learned is that in any town you go into, there's a lot of people doing a lot of really good things. Mm -hmm. The problem is there's nobody incentivized to, without territory or without an agenda, um, bring all of those pieces together mm -hmm. into one big community. And they just don't have the time. Time is the one missing resource that no town puts in. Mm -hmm. it, it, so, so tell me in, in, you know, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who's the person who's running around going, how do we connect all the dots here? Right. How do we make sure that there's a real genuine community here? And how do we make sure that people have all the resources they need at their fingertips? There's nobody. And so that's where Alpha Innovation Collective comes in. That's what we do. Coeur d'Alene is one of those towns and, and having lived as, in as many places as I have, um, seeing uh, Coeur d'Alene when you're here and you talk to people and you start to really get an idea of what makes the community tick, you really start to see how much people enjoy really creating things here, doing things here. There's a lot of engineering firms here. There's all this innovation. And it's still crazy how it's been that way for a minute now, but it you wouldn't expect it still. Everyone I see that finds this sort of fact out, like, there? <laughs> you know? And, and so we're kind of a, still kind of hidden right now, but it's I don't think it'll last all that long. It won't last because we're going to promote the snot out of it. <laughs> you bet. You bet. Yeah, Thanks, even, Innovation Collective. <laughs> but even that, you know, it's funny because it wasn't always that. Like yeah. when I lived here in the late 90s, it wasn't like this. I mean, yeah, the no. average human being here, like being an entrepreneur at that time, you're going to start your own like tree trimming service or your own like lawn care or snow removal or mm -hmm. it was not and there's a lot of entrepreneurship here but there wasn't a lot of like people looking to do things 
from a technology standpoint. Um, and, and even when you look at the fact that, you know, Coeur d'Alene now has more tech companies per capita than Boise. That's insane. Yeah. That's a Kaufman Research, uh, or I'm sorry, Brookings Institute um, research that just came out. Considering the fact that, you know, Boise is a big town, I mean, at least twice as big, if, if not larger than Coeur d'Alene. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. it's way more populated. You have the University of Idaho, which we have connections to them here in Coeur d'Alene, of course, but... I mean, that's a, that's a really impressive yeah. statistic. Yeah, and um, it wasn't always that way. And, and part of no. it is... And not that long ago, too. No, and, and again, that just comes back to you. There's nobody who's running around saying, hey, guys, you can make your dreams come true. You can do anything you want to. The technology's at your fingertips. It's all been democratized now. Right. Uh, and so schools try to do it, but they're trying to do enrollment or fulfill some big government you know, plan. Um, no private corporations are doing it. There's some public institutions that are trying to do that, but they've all usually got their own legacy stuff to deal with as well. And so mm -hmm. there's nobody that's just trying to genuinely build community and inspire people to build new technology. And that's where you guys come in. Um, so last thing I wanted to talk to you about is a couple years ago, you did a TED talk about um, essentially the overarching message talks about how text-based communication is completely changing the way that we communicate as a species for the first time in history. That was kind of what, what I got from that. And, but at the end of the day, it's community interaction and community involvement that always seems to reign supreme. And I wondered if you could expand on that a little bit. Uh, so the, the premise of the talk was that we are for the first time um, raising a generation who are text-based first in their independent communications. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, traditionally the, um, I'll say to this TED talk, you don't have to go watch it. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, if you think about it, when I was a kid, I'm in my 40s, right? When I was a kid, when I wanted to start interacting with other human beings on my own, like as an independent human being, that was all on the phone or in person. Mm -hmm. And my son's generation is the first age who don't remember the world without the internet. Right. Um, ubiquitous internet. And so his interaction with other human beings was primarily text-based to begin with. And what does that do to our society when now there's a whole like generation who fundamentally um, think and communicate differently than every generation for millions of years before them? Because um, now it's text-based. Text, you think about it, you don't have to go back that far when text was actually something for the elite. It wasn't even for the common man. Mm -hmm. And now you've got you know kids growing up and they learn how to text uh, eat their friends or message their friends um, on and before they learn how to um, have a phone call. Mm -hmm. They don't even know how to place a, a simple phone call. Um, and so that changes our society. Um, and I think that I, I think we're going to see it evolve even more because the generation coming after my son's who my son's 21, the generation after his is growing up with a bunch of like verbal based communication. Uh, in the sense that they're interacting with their computers in a verbal way, mm -hmm. which is going to change that even more. Uh, and I'm, I haven't really fully thought through how that plays out because uh, that's a whole other level of like, okay, they're, so they're text-based in one manner, but they're verbal in another. They're not actually interacting with anybody. They're just using computers to communicate with their computer. Right. That's going to change a lot of things too. And, and so I, I guess what the my thinking behind it is, if we are as a society thinking about how do we bring generations together, and or uh, economic classes of people together, we are going to start isolating and alienating whole entire swaths of people, whether it be aged people or people who are younger. If you're the hiring manager and you look at the quote unquote millennials, which by the way, millennials are like old now, they're not the people that we keep blaming for everything. Mm -hmm. um, but if we keep blaming the, when I say quote unquote millennials, the younger generations for all the different ways they act and behave, 
What happens when those age groups start becoming the hiring managers and you're 50 years old and you get laid off because your um, company automated everything and you have to go in and do an interview with someone who doesn't communicate the way you do, you're a severe disadvantage. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something that we should be thinking about as a society, is how are we going to bridge those gaps? How are we going to change fundamentally the communication methods that we didn't have to worry about before? Because before the difference was vernacular and now it's actually mobile. And that's going to change a lot. It's more tools that we need to be focusing on moving forward, because that's the whole idea of this whole sustainable interaction thing. It's like we've known the way things are uh, in, in terms of this, the way we interact and society was away for a while. And we are in a weird time right now where uh, we're having to learn a lot really quickly and technology is moving faster than science has the ability to even study. Right. Um, and um, it's just, yeah, it's important to talk about these stuff, hear these stories and kind of just relate it all back. And just well, when it comes to sustainable community, I think that one of the things that's missing is we have oftentimes substituted technology for community and not use technology to build community. I'll give you a really good example. We have, I'm involved in a bunch of different Facebook groups, uh, closed Facebook groups. Uh, we use them extensively at, at Innovation Collective. We use Facebook groups all day long to help build community. Mm -hmm. But we have a definite plan and a, and a reason for how we use them and a strategy behind how they're used that's really, really unique and I've never seen anybody use that strategy before. Um, I've been involved in other groups where I'm building community, but the reason that both of those groups work where there's real genuine community being built, it's because something's happening offline as well. It's not all online. And so you can get to know the persona that someone presents via the internet and think that you know them. That's not genuine community. And I know that there's going to be a bunch of people here who are like, you don't understand. I have my friends on World of Warcraft. And I totally get that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you cannot substitute a digital communication for genuine community. That doesn't mean genuine community can't happen within the digital realm. But what it does mean is if all you're doing is communicating via digital, then you're missing out on a huge portion of the human interaction. And I'll give you the best example of that. My daughter had a grand, uh, a, my daughter had a baby three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Um, she lives in Stockholm, Sweden. Mm -hmm. My wife has been there for the last two weeks, almost three weeks now I've been without my wife. I can tell you from experience that I can talk to her and she just called me on FaceTime a minute ago. Like I talk to her every day. I get to see her face, I get to see my granddaughter. It's not the same. Right. As having my wife here with me right. and interacting with her. It's just not the same. Mm -mm. You do feel that sense of longing still, yes. even though you get it. Yes. Yeah. And that's what's missing in most communities. And so it's going to be sustainable. We have to start using technology to build for what it was intended for. And it's not as a substitution for community, but a way to connect people so that they can build real community within a, within a real geographic location. Chris, thank you so much for talking to me. This hey, has been a blast. Josh. And, uh, you know, I hope we can talk a lot more about um, just the things you get into here in Coeur d'Alene because a lot's happening and yep. uh, a year from now we may be having a totally different conversation. Absolutely. If you want to check us out, innovationcollective.co, not dot .com, uh, innovationcollective.co, check us out, see what we're doing. If you've listened to each episode thus far, there's a clear trend to be noticed. When we come together as people, magic happens. Sure, it's not always daisies and rainbows. We irritate each other just as much as we inspire, but so what? We can get over that, right? 
Don't doubt it. Be part of the inspiration. Be part of the positivity. The human experience is waiting for us all. And it might sound like hippy-dippy ramblings, but there's a lot of love for one another to be found in these philosophies. It's no coincidence, then, that among the great things community breeds, success and innovation are among many key elements to practice. Thanks again for listening to the show today. If you liked what you heard, like the episode and share with your friends. You can find the Sustainable Culture Podcast on SoundCloud, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for Sustainable Culture Podcast. Help get the conversation out there because we need all the unity we can get. Join me next week when we wrestle with the challenge of motivating ourselves and others to take public action in your community. I'm Josh McLaughlin. I'll see you next time.